You're listening to the Law Careers Net podcast, a monthly podcast designed to give you everything you need to know about becoming a lawyer. Hello, and welcome back to the Law Careers Net podcast, sponsored by the University of Law. My name's Neve Gray, and I'm delighted to be bringing you a special episode of the podcast this month to honour LGBTQ Plus History Month. LGBTQ Plus History Month is celebrated every year in February to mark the abolishment of Section 28. 2023 marks 20 years since the Act was abolished. So, to celebrate this, I sat down with two prestigious LGBTQ Plus lawyers to talk all about what it means to be LGBTQ Plus in the legal industry. We covered everything, from hiring practices, to firm ally networks, to what firms are doing right, to one thing every firm needs to stop doing immediately. We delve deep to give you the best possible insight into life as an LGBTQ plus lawyer. I hope you enjoy. My first guest is Danny Davies, a real estate lawyer from Latham & Watkins. Danny is the global co-chair of Latham's LGBTQ plus lawyers group, and was named as one of Outstanding's 100 LGBTQ plus lawyers future leaders list. I'm very excited to be speaking with them today. Hi Danny, do you want to introduce yourself? So hi, I'm Danny Davis. I use they, them pronouns. I'm non-binary. I have been a lawyer at Latham and Watkins now for about five years, but I am eight or nine years qualified as well. And I used to work before here at a firm called BCLP and then before that at a I trained at a smaller firm called Radcliffe's Labrassa, which has now merged with Waitman's in the past year. I'm also the global leader of our LGBTQ plus lawyers group at Latham and Watkins. And I also work with the local London and UK leadership team as well as more of a kind of strategic direction advisor. But I get stuck in where I can. And I'm a real estate lawyer as well. <laughs> That's my main job. <laughs> I was wondering if you could speak a bit about when you decide to identify as non-binary during your time at Latham and perhaps what that was like for you being able to have that journey of talking to clients about what your pronouns were and things like that. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's been a long road for me. When I first started out as a trainee, I didn't come out as anything at all. I was advised by people close to me that maybe it was best to just keep your personal life separate from work and you know you don't want anyone who's maybe homophobic or whatever from you know cutting your career short or stopping you from getting a promotion I've since as time's gone by realized that that is not the right kind of advice to be giving anybody the best thing anyone can be is themselves from day one and so I realised that I needed to make a change when I was qualifying. I moved firm. I did come out just as I was leaving my my training firm. And I think a lot of people were a bit surprised that I didn't really do it earlier. And I think it would have been perfectly fine. So then I came out on day one uh, when I moved to BCLP, but I came out as a gay man. And so, you know, I, I really didn't come out as non-binary or on the trans spectrum at all. And I certainly didn't when I moved to Latham and Watkins either. That was something that happened in 2019, about three years ago. And I've just been sort of slowly transitioning ever since. 
I think it helped that it was all during COVID for me. So I was coming into the office myself, but nobody else was. And I was growing my hair out and, you know, doing, I was putting makeup on and, you know, experimenting with my own look. And now I'm in a place where I'm really comfortable with myself and I can, you know, wear makeup to work if I want. If I feel like it, I can wear whatever I want to work and come as I want. And I think we're now in a really good place where I'm probably one of the only visible trans or non-binary role models at the firm and certainly in London, but not the only. And, you know, I'm very comfortable with it and it's a good place to be. Danny, I'm glad you mentioned role models because, as I've said in your intro, I noticed you've been recognised as an LGBTQ plus future leader. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I, I've, I, I, I'm now apparently number twenty on the list, so I, I got, I got a little promotion this year, and it's about time I started mentioning that to people. I need to update my LinkedIn, really. So <laughs> this is, this is me announcing it. Great. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I've noticed a lot of people within Latham in other affinity groups, because we have a number of affinity groups for different minorities, have been nominated for similar kind of awards. And I thought, well, I'm seeing other people doing it. Why not me? I do so much work in this area. And so I just put myself forward and applied and got on a list. And it's a great networking opportunity. And that's the main thing you want to try and get out of these things is to build your own network and build your own brand. And so that's, I guess, what I'm trying to do. Well, congratulations. It is definitely something to shout about. So get it on your LinkedIn. Thank you. I guess I guess so. I mean, I think, you know, my day to day work and what I do generally is really the most important thing. But actually, sometimes then nobody knows about it. And so I guess these things are a way of making sure that people do. And so it's always nice to be recognised. And speaking of Latham specifically, I personally think I see Latham in the news or on various social media things doing really brilliant things for the LGBTQ plus community. What do you think makes the firm stand out in terms of allyship? What's it doing right? As the leader of our group, my focus over the past few years has been on recruitment, number one, retention, number two, and promotion, number three. We want to recruit the best LGBTQ plus identifying lawyers from student level up. We want to retain them and keep them happy here. And then we want to make sure that they're promoted into senior positions. And those are the three things. If you can hit all three, you know, that's where we really want to be. So my focus is on trying to, and and also my, my committee members focus is on trying to make sure that all of those targets a hit and in terms of allyship as well we've we've got i mean for example in london we have i don't know 175 members of the lgbtq plus group but actually i would say maybe 30 to 40 of them are lgbtq plus identifying themselves and the rest are allies so we we you know we have a really strong ally network around the firm we have about 400 450 members of the group on the lawyer side and another 400, 450 members on the staff side as well. And again, you know, I would say a lot of them are allies and it's really important that we have that buy-in across people who don't identify as well because it's all very good talking in an echo chamber, but really what you need is is people in senior positions who, who are also not identifying that way, supporting and ensuring that they're all buying into the same message. We did, for example, have the chairman of the firm 
come and talk at our biannual retreat for European LGBTQ plus lawyers in October. And that was really great to have that kind of seniority joining us. No, brilliant. It's so good to have managerial support as well, because if everyone's doing the work on the ground, but there's no one higher up calling for the same reforms, it's so much more difficult. Absolutely. I think also at Latham, there's such a kind of relaxed feel. It's an interesting one because we're such a massive law firm and everyone is super top level in their field. But around all of that, everyone is very friendly and also down to earth. And we have these fantastic opportunities from, you know, trainee upwards to be on diversity committees and affinity group committees, which means that people can really get involved and and make an impact even from being a first seat trainee. And we have that all the way up through to partners on these committees as well. So I think that's something that really is different to other firms I've been at. Fantastic. And I wanted to speak in terms of allyship and getting other people involved. Do you have any particular bits of advice that you could give to people on how to be better allies? Yeah, I mean, look, we introduced pronouns in email signatures in around, I think, 2020. And some people like to do it, some people don't. But it's always nice, I think, if people do feel that it would that they want to put their pronouns on their email signature. I think it just creates a supportive environment for someone like me where I put mine on because I don't want to have to come out literally every day to people. So it's easier for me, but it's nice if other people do it too. I think that's an easy thing that people can do. Other things as well as, you know, making sure that you're like our real estate department is in the people who do our actual office work and, you know, our leases of our offices. They've ensured that we've got gender neutral facilities for people to use, which I think is really important as well from an allyship perspective. Otherwise, it's just a case of making sure that people come to your meetings. They, If we do diversity trainings, that they go to them, senior level up. It's, in, it's asking people to come to stuff and just making sure that it's a welcoming environment for everyone, not just the people who identify that way. What's your firm doing to mark LGBTQ plus history month this year? Good question. Good question. <laughs> we uh, the thing is we do we do so many things year round that we have to kind of figure out where's our budget going to be spent. And we tend to spend a lot in Pride Month, but we also tend to spend a lot in October, November, December. We marked World AIDS Day. We marked uh, with with a big fundraising event. We also marked which we raised money for National AIDS Trust, which is also a pro bono client of ours. We marked Transgender Awareness Week with a talk with uh, Mia Yamamoto, who's a famous trans activist lawyer from America. We did that through Interlaw Diversity Forum. So we also put on a recruitment event for LGBTQ plus students in an open evening in November. So we've spent a lot of our budget already on things like that. So in terms of what we're going to do for the month itself, we're still planning. However, I have a couple of ideas. Something that we've previously done, which I think I might try and do again, is we had we work with a charity called Give Out, which pools donations and provides grants to local activist groups promoting LGBTQ plus rights rights and equality in the global south in countries where it's particularly difficult to be LGBTQ plus identifying and 
a couple of years ago, we produced a report for them called Pride with Purpose, and we did it alongside Goldman Sachs and Boston Consulting Group. It was a pro bono matter for us, and it was on how can businesses better support for global movement as opposed to just working on stuff locally. And so what we've done in the past and what I think we're going to try and do again at some point this year is to bring in activists from countries in the global south to talk about give us an update on what rights are like in those countries and what they're doing to change things on the ground we've had people from south africa india iraq nigeria kenya uh, lots of different countries we've had come in to speak before so i think we'll try and do something like that again and the best thing about these events is that you can do it as a joint event with another affinity group so with the women's lawyers group, or with the black lawyers group, with the Asian and Middle Eastern lawyers group. It's something which is intersectional. Being LGBTQ plus is intersectional for so many people. For me, I'm Jewish as well. So, and it's not necessarily a religious thing. It's an ethnicity for me. You know, it's a cultural and my background. So, you know, my, my dual identity is being Jewish and also being LGBTQ plus. So yeah, that's something I think for everyone who is LGBT, there's some level of intersectionality there. And it sounds like they're doing some really initiative things that perhaps other firms wouldn't think of. But to strip it back, if you could give one piece of advice to firms on something that they can do to better support their workers or candidates, perhaps that's in the recruitment sphere, what piece of advice would you give to firms? It certainly helps if you have someone within the firm who's willing to kind of take on that responsibility as being the the flag bearer and who's got some ideas. I've always thought that joining up with a network like Interlaw is quite useful because they give you instant access to all these events, recruitment events, panel events, socials. So I think that's always a nice, easy start. But I would say just generally, it's really important to ask the diversity questions on applications. It's important to get diversity training for partners and for associates. It really is. And you can get them from different places. We previously worked with uh, two ladies at Global Butterflies who give training on trans issues. I've also worked with someone called Jeff Parsons, who runs the Inclusion Imperative, I think it's called. And he used to be at Macquarie and used to run the LGBTQ group there. And yeah, he's he's really good at doing these kind of trainings and, and, and really getting people involved. I think training is the first step to get more people to understand what it's like and to create an atmosphere where people aren't afraid of coming out and how it will affect them. So my other final piece of advice to firms who are looking to maybe support their LGBTQ plus colleagues or applicants, I do think is just put a little bit of budget towards these things. You know, a social could make a huge difference for people. Having someone volunteer to write a newsletter to put on something for LGBTQ plus History Month, even if it's just putting a few historical facts down in a newsletter and maybe doing a walk around and a social for it or something for pride, offering little pride flags like we do. We have 500 of those pride flags sent around to, to people who asked for them last year. That was 500 people asking for them. You know, just little things like that can make a huge difference. Now, Danny, I wanted to ask you, what's been the most memorable change for you in terms of people's approach to the LGBTQ plus community. So this could be something like pronouns on emails now becoming common practice or 
the fact that lots of firms have LGBTQ plus networks, really any significant change in your opinion? So I started working in 2012 and I think even then maybe attitudes were a little different to how they are now. I'm now at a point where I feel empowered to be openly non-binary at work, you know, on a on the trans spectrum. And I do think that people are totally fine with it. It's all about just being unapologetically yourself and coming to work as yourself and just going with it. When you do that and you're good at your job, that's all that matters. And in fact, it's a total positive because it's given me so many more opportunities to network with people I would have never met both internally and externally. You know, I I worked on the takeover of Chelsea Football Club last year, and I've carried on working with Chelsea on a number of real estate matters. But also, I work very closely with their diversity team that they've hired and uh, put in place. And they're really working hard to try on, on their diversity initiatives. And so I work with them on their Rainbow Laces campaign and also put a Latham speaker in for uh, and we've helped them sponsor their Black History Month event in connection with Fulham Football Club as well. So, you know, being a part of all these different groups, both internally and externally, is only a good thing for your career. And I think it's now openly a very good thing for your career as well to have these opportunities that I don't know if they existed when I started out. Brilliant, thank you. I'm going to keep on the road of the most impactful changes, in your opinion. Um, do you have a legislation that you think has been most impactful for queer people? And that doesn't necessarily have to be most impactful in a good light. It could be something like Section 28, or it could be something like the Gay Blood Ban Lift or Civil Partnerships. Is there any piece where you like to have a legal focus, or is there anything from that sense that you think? Luckily, I was only a child when Section 28 was a thing, so I've never known it. But being people being taught that it's okay to have two mums or two dads or parents who might be trans or non-binary, even in school, like my mum's a teacher. And, you know, when they when they talk about things, they they include that as just a side point. I think it's important because there will be children in those classes who do have gay parents. And so that is something that's really changed over time. So I think the repealing of Section 28 was extremely important for our community, for my life for anyone who's LGBT's life, really. So that's been something that has obviously really made a big difference as I've been growing up. I also, you know, I think certainly civil partnerships and then same-sex marriage as well has been a huge thing. I'm not myself married, but I have a partner and we've been together for a long time. So, you know, that's something we might want to do at some point, but it's nice to have the option. Yeah, and I think what you said about schools being able to speak about LGBT plus relationships in any way and the media lawcareers.net anything you know and we see so many places in the world where there's a pushback on all this stuff we must never ever let that happen here we must not it couldn't be more important the good news is is that in the business world certainly in the legal sector I think we're we're pretty advanced obviously it depends on firm to firm but being at a firm that is the size of the one I'm in and it being as open and accepting and welcoming as it is, is quite something. I doubt it was always like this. So we must make sure that's maintained and that's something I will do for my whole career. Brilliant. Well, it's 
very important to have role models and people like you out there fighting the good fight and it would make such a difference you are paving the way for people currently and afterwards and it's so so important on that note for people that are part of the community do you have any words of advice for people that are maybe concerned about going into the legal industry or even something you wish you'd known before entering the profession I mean I think I wish I'd have known that it was okay to be LGBT as a lawyer uh, I didn't know that and it took a long time for me to know that it took a long time of me avoiding what telling people what I did at the weekend and basically lying to people about what I did at the weekend you know I, I, I it's it's not something that anyone should do nobody should be afraid to be out at work and I guarantee you that in most law firms being yourself and being able to talk freely with your colleagues and clients is something that will be more valuable to you than hiding yourself away. Thank you. That's a really lovely sentiment to leave on. Is there something that you think firms or people in general should stop doing? We have the advice on what they should do, but is there a piece of maybe performative activism or just something that people might not realise is actually quite discriminatory or uncomfortable that they should stop themselves from partaking in or doing themselves? Maybe assuming people's gender. I mean, it gets assumed for me a lot. I, I something that I, I've always said is that you know the problem I have is that I have quite a deep voice, and you know you can do voice training, but I'm very also comfortable speaking currently, and I'm quite confident at speaking. And so to change it might take away some of my confidence, and so that's something I've had to think about. So as a result, I get gendered based on my voice. And then I also get gendered separately based on my looks. And I often get gendered two different ways based on how I look and how I sound. So always, I think if you can ask, you can ask people's pronouns or you can, you know, you can ask them politely what, how they'd like to be referred to or treated. That's always something I, I think would be helpful. Most people don't do it. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. As a femme presenting non-binary, it gets incredibly frustrating being constantly misgendered. Thank you so much for speaking to me today, Danny. And I hope all the future solicitors and barristers listening to this podcast feel inspired and feel proud because it does get better. And I think you and your work are a great example of that. And now a short message from our podcast sponsor, the University of Law. What really sets a University of Law apart from other universities is their belief that students should learn in a realistic, professional and contemporary context. They focus exclusively on practice-based training and give students access to their career service and jobs vacancy database as soon as they accept a place on a course. Through the Pro Bono programme, law students can hone their skills by working on real cases before they graduate. Find out more about studying at the University of Law with the link in the podcast description. My next guest is Michael Tushingham, a tax lawyer from our very own Diversity Hub sponsor, Gowling. Michael is the co-leader of Gowling's LGBTQ plus network, Open House, and is going to speak to us about some of the fantastic work he's done so far. Hello, Michael. How are you? Hi there. I'm good. Thanks. Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? My name is Michael Tushiam and I'm uh, an associate in the tax team at Gowling WLG. I'm based in our Birmingham office and I'm also the co-chair of our LGBT plus employee network, which is called Open House. Could you tell me what you think the importance of having a firm LGBTQ plus network is? 
I think it provides a number of things for our people. First, it's a safe space for employees to raise any issues or concerns that they have. Also, I think it provides, importantly, a sense of community for LGBT plus people and allies within the firm um, for, to meet one another and to learn from each other's experiences and to build those sort of internal networks, which I think are really important. And we've also found that having a network offers a quite a unique opportunity through which to enable feedback to the firm on overall uh, areas that could be improved upon. When you were first applying for firms and having a look, did you look into firms' different sort of policies and networks? Did that influence your decision when you were looking at which firms to apply for training contracts at? It's really hard to get an idea of a firm's sort of policies and practices in any DNI area when you are a prospective trainee and you're on the outside looking in. I think one thing I did always look for was firms with a good working environment and a good working culture. I think that is as good an indicator as you're going to find, to be honest. I think Gowling has always prided itself on having a really friendly working environment. So that was certainly one of the big draws for me in choosing to apply here. Speaking about your LGBTQ plus network specifically, can you speak more about the role of the network and maybe anything you're particularly proud of or that you've enjoyed recently? In addition to that sort of general role as a forum for LGBT um, employees and allies, we've also helped to drive some internal change by feeding into some of the firm's own uh, policies. So we fed into amendments on the firm's policy for same-sex couples, and we also helped with the introduction of a new policy for trans employees as well. We've also had the opportunity to get involved with a great number of sort of external projects during my time as co-chair. One really great one from reasonably recently was the role that we played in arranging a donation from our firm's charitable trust towards the creation of a, an AIDS and HIV memorial in Birmingham. To watch the memorial sort of come to fruition and to watch it be unveiled on the 1st of December last year, which is obviously World AIDS Day, it was a really rewarding moment. I think it's a, a good example of the kind of fantastic thing that you can get involved with if, if you involve yourself with any kind of employee network at a firm. I want to move on to a bit more about living as an LGBTQ plus identifying person in general. So in 2021, the Law Society did a survey of LGBTQ plus individuals and allies and found that the two most common pressing issues for queer people at the time were that A, they felt that they had a lack of role models and B, coming out to clients was also quite difficult. Would you agree with these valuations? Is there anything that you'd consider more pressing as we head into 2023? I would definitely agree a, a lack of LGBTQ plus role models at a senior level is an issue. I think much like lack of female representation, it is at least partially a hangover from a lack of hiring or promotion in those kind of underrepresented groups for some time, just that you have less people in, in those levels from which you hire those people. So I'm hopeful this will get better, you know, going forward as, as you get more of those underrepresented groups in general, you'll get hired at, at lower and mid levels. I think coming out to clients is an interesting one, and that's not really been much of an issue for me personally, although the nature of the team that I'm in, the role that I have, I don't have as much direct client contact as perhaps some people in other roles do. But I'd say the ongoing nature of having to come out in general is sometimes a challenge. And I found this particularly difficult in the legal context when doing your training contract and you suddenly find yourself every six months dropped into a completely new team with a completely new set of people. And you find yourself, you know, that sort of coming out journey sort of restarts all over again. That certainly is a bit of a, a challenge, although I'm not sure quite frankly how you overcome that one. That's actually really interesting. I'd never considered the fact that by moving seats during a training contract, you'd be put in a position where you'd have to come out over and over again. I wanted to know what you think has been the most impactful piece of legislation for queer people or for you personally as a queer person since the 1967 Sexual Offences Act. 
I think there have been a number of significant changes since 1967. Um, I think most of them have been positive, thankfully. The repeal of Section 28 was obviously quite significant in 2000, or 2000 in Scotland, 2003, I think, in the rest of the UK. And those incremental changes to the ages of consent, even though they were before my time, in which they impacted me, were obviously retrospectively very important. I think they started in 1994. I think for me personally, the most impactful piece of legislation has probably been the marriage equality in England and Wales in 2013. It wasn't something that I ever thought I would necessarily see for quite some time. I remember that moment, certainly. Thank you, Michael. That's really lovely. And I just wanted to let our listeners know that if you'd like to read up on the history of LGBTQ plus legislation, you can do so in my most recent LCM says, Queer Legislation Through History. Next, obviously, as I've mentioned, Dowling is our diversity hub sponsor. So what I want to know is what do you think makes your firm stand out in terms of its allyship? What is Dowling doing right? Yeah, so um, we have a new programme actually which brought in 2020 called Inclusion Allies. And the aim of this was to recruit proactive allies across all of the underrepresented groups that have a network within the firm. And this was born from a request from our own network, Open House, as well as from Embrace, which is our firm's minority ethnicity network. And this is just a quite in a more formal approach around allies, rather than setting up a different ally group program for each of the networks. The firm decided the best option was to bring in a general inclusion ally program because people have much more than one characteristic. And I think if you're likely to be a, a, an ally for one network, you're probably going to be an ally for another. So our allies all have to sign up um, to an internal register and fill in a form explaining why they want to be an inclusion ally. And their name is then added to this directory and they get a lanyard to visibly show that they're allies. And in addition to this, you then get invited to educational programs or the inclusion allies do to show them you know, what it means to be a proactive ally. Um, so the most recent one was a virtual session on how to be an effective ally to people with disabilities. And I understand that we're going to have more programs like that coming uh, over the next year. That's really great. I think education and sharing our experiences with allies is one of the best ways to build a culture of inclusion. While we're on the topic of allies, actually, do you have any advice for those who want to be better allies? Sure. I mean, I mentioned the lanyards, so I'll start by saying uh, it's not enough to just say that you're an ally and wear a lanyard. I think you do need to take action. The best way by far to do this is by speaking up when you see or hear something that you know isn't right. And this could be such a difficult thing, particularly for allies to do, because in the sort of instant split second cost benefit analysis that you're going to do in your head when someone perhaps in your own team perhaps a superior says something it can be a really courageous thing to in that moment say something when it may be of no benefit to you whatsoever but it is of benefit to some other group provided that you know you, you do say something in a courteous way it can be extremely impactful perhaps more so even than someone from whichever relevant underrepresented group spoke up in that moment and as well as speaking up there are other ways you can make an impact so making sure that other people's voices are heard and helping to make networking connections for colleagues and clients, educating yourself and educating others and the challenges that are faced by different groups. There's, there's lots that allies can do to sort of be proactively involved. No, I completely agree. I use they, them pronouns and I've had colleagues ask if I'd like them to correct others who misgender me. And for them, it's such a small act, but for me, it means the world and it allows me to feel safe at work. Also just wanted to point out to our listeners that if you would like to know more about practising active allyship, you can read our latest oracle, which has come out this month. What's one thing that all firms should do to support LGBTQ plus workers and even candidates that could be in the recruitment process, but not every firm has an LGBTQ plus network, not every firm maybe has resources to do some amazing things, but what's one thing that you think everyone should just aim to do no matter what? 
we'll bring back to that earlier point, I think, aiming to have more LGBT plus people in senior roles, and those aren't necessarily in fee-earning senior roles, there's lots of other roles within law firms, I think it's important to have that kind of representation. Is in, That's something that I think would be ideal for all firms, albeit it will take time to achieve. I think also having employee networks and giving them the resources, and that might not necessarily be physical resources of money, but sort of giving them the, the leeway and the space to be of real use and to make real change, I think that's something that almost all organizations of any size could do no completely i think that's great advice and on that note is there something you think firms or people in general who are trying to be allies should stop doing i think one thing that's problematic and certainly not confined to law firms i think it's an issue sort of across the the general corporate world is businesses that sort of pay lip service to lgbtq plus allyship and without doing anything to back it up in substance so i know this particular one is already almost cliche um, but this sort of fairly re- recent phenomenon of companies that sort of change their social media logos um to some rainbow motif for pride month um and then you don't seem to do anything else for the rest of the year it can be quite frustrating um in terms of something people in general could stop doing i, I do think it would be helpful if people stopped assuming that everyone they come across is heterosexual uh, or indeed is cisgendered i think i accept it statistically the most likely scenario so I can kind of accept that there's some, that it's a mental barrier that people will need to overcome. I think in the workplace context and in an informal conversation, if someone says something, asks you, you know, if you have a girlfriend or something like that, it instantly puts you in that awkward position of having to actively come out to them, perhaps when you weren't planning on it. It's not your moment of choosing. And it's just another way to make LGBTQ plus people feel uncomfortable and to draw a kind of mental line between us and them, which I think is not conducive to a good workplace environment. This one is, again, maybe slightly more personal, slightly less to do with the firm. But I was wondering what's been the most memorable change for you in people's approach to the LGBTQ plus communities. To give you an example for me personally, when I was growing up, gay was a very, very common slur word in the school playground. And my parents are gay. So to constantly hear people using gay as bad, it was not a very nice experience to grow up with. And that's been a massive change for me now as I've grown up. So I was wondering if there's been anything that really strikes you that's changed. I don't think there's only one thing that comes to mind. I think you're right. Even in my relatively short time in the workplace, there has been a perceptible change in attitudes more generally an acceptance and a sense of normality and that's only improving i think this is probably just a reflection on kind of wider society attitudes trending more in a positive and progressive direction for some time irrespective of the odd backlash i think all those individual changes you mentioned you know pronouns people's email signatures firms adopting and employee networks engaging with local lgbt communities and charities I think all these things are just sort of symptomatic of the larger, more gradual change. I mean, last week, you know, the popes of the Catholic Church should should do more to put an end to laws criminalising homosexuality, and they called them unjust, and that's the pope. I mean, if you said to me even 10 years ago that that would happen, I think you're mad. So you've spoken a bit about even since you've been in the legal industry, you've noticed a change, and you've spoken about the allyship at your firm, which sounds brilliant. Did you always feel comfortable being open about your sexuality at work and if not what perhaps changed for you to make you feel more comfortable i certainly didn't to be honest i grew up somewhere that wasn't the most socially progressive of places i start my first ever proper job which was there and i never really considered being openly gay sort of around the workplace which is mostly out of fear you know fear of 
awkward conversations and maybe shaping how people saw you and even perhaps limiting your sort of career advancement that changed almost immediately when I met my line manager who was uh, LGBT plus and very open about it and it suddenly made me realize that it was a safe space and that perhaps even I had you know unfairly prejudged I think coming out in the workplace is exactly like coming out in your personal life except I've been very fortunate in many ways but I, I think for a lot of people you do end up looking back on it and thinking it was perhaps a bigger deal in your head than it was in reality um, and even sometimes looking back at things and cringing a bit at why you were so hesitant. So for you then just to pick up on what you've said was it definitely having someone there about slight role model having someone that was in a higher level of leadership that you could look to and say well they're out and everything seems to be okay so does that encourage you or make you feel safe? Yeah, that made me feel safe. It certainly gave me the kind of the green flag to to come out to other people, you know, casually and informally in conversations. And then from that, you realise that even everyone else, um, heterosexual people in the work, that particular workplace were all just really friendly and, and progressive and I really didn't have that much to worry about in hindsight. What is Gowling doing to mark LGBTQ plus history month this year? Are you doing anything to celebrate? Yeah, so we are doing a couple of things this year. We have some internal comms that will be going out just to our employees throughout the month. The catering on offer in all of our offices will also include some LGBTQ plus themed cakes. That's that's what's most important. I think we all agree. But the main thing we're putting together this year is an exhibition that will tour both of our London and Birmingham offices. Um, and then we'll be hosting an event actually here in Birmingham and with external invitees and a guest speaker to sort of view these and the things we're putting together. And the exhibition will feature some works by artists local to the West Midlands, as well as some educational exhibits that we are creating in-house and some pics of our previous events. So we're still in the midst of putting that together, but it should be good. Um, we're looking forward to it. Do you have any words of advice for someone who may be LGBTQ plus and is concerned about working in the legal industry or alternatively something that you wish you'd known before entering the profession that maybe you've figured out now? I think my advice, and it's not particularly helpful, I accept, would be um, try not to be too concerned. In my experience, which I accept is not everyone's, um, the legal industry is a, a welcoming place for LGBTQ plus people in general. I think law firms as a whole have been increasingly seeing the value in having a diverse pool of staff, having a diversity of opinion and experience to be able to draw on. So as far as I'm concerned, it's a positive. Michael, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I think you've offered some truly great advice that firms can take on board to be better allies. And you've provided some great insight into life as an LGBTQ plus lawyer. So thank you very much. As we wrap up, I want to thank both Danny and Michael again for coming onto the podcast and for sharing their time with us. I really enjoyed learning about how firms practice allyship and I hope you did too. Before I go, I just wanted to remind everyone that we've got lots of great content out for LGBTQ plus History Month. We've got an oracle piece on practicing allyship, and I've written an LCN says that breaks down LGBTQ plus history through legislation. You can find both articles and lots more amazing content on our diversity hub. Until next time, thank you for listening, and I wish you a very happy LGBTQ plus History Month. Bye.